1: day and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the EMERA first quarter 2021 earnings call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised, that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Aaron Power. Director, Investor Relations. Thank you. Please go ahead.
0: Thank you, Chris. And thank you all for joining us this morning. AMERA's first quarter earnings release was distributed this morning via Newswire, and the financial statements, management's discussion and analysis, and the presentation being referenced on this call are available at our website at amera.com. Joining me this morning for the call are Scott Balfour, AMERA's President and Chief Executive Officer, Greg Blunden, AMARA's Chief Financial Officer, and other members of AMARA's management team. Before we begin, I will take a moment to advise you that this morning's discussion will include forward-looking information, which is subject to the cautionary statement contained in the supporting slide. Today's discussion and presentation will also include references to non-GAAP financial measures. You should refer to the appendix for definitional information and reconciliations of historical non-GAAP measures to the closest GAAP financial measure. And now, I will turn things over to Scott.
2: Thank you, Aaron, and good morning, everyone. This morning we released our first quarter financial results, but I'm pleased to say we're off to a solid start this year. <clears throat> our business continued to perform well and delivered quarterly adjusted earnings per share of 96 cents, an increase of 17 cents. We continued to execute on our capital program and we're on track to invest over $2 billion this year. And on the regulatory front, Following important rate case settlements for People's Gas and for New Mexico Gas last year, we've now filed a base rate application for Tampa Electric. Our financial results and the underlying drivers of our growth this quarter highlight the overall strength of our business. We continue to see strong earnings growth from our U.S.-based utilities, and our reduced corporate interest costs reflect the steps we've taken to strengthen our balance sheet and our marketing and trading business continues to provide low-risk opportunity for us to earn strong returns when market conditions present as they did this quarter. All of our major capital projects remain on time and on budget while our teams continue to follow the enhanced health and safety protocols we put in place last spring as part of our pandemic response plans. We remain committed to investing between 7.4 and 8.6 billion dollars through the end of 2023 in renewable and cleaner generation, system reliability and integrity, infrastructure modernization, and customer-focused technologies, such as smart meters. Our investments are expected to drive robust rate-based growth of 7.5 to 8.5% on an average annualized basis over the period. Carbon reduction has been core to Amir's strategy for more than 15 years. It's been a key driver of our growth, and it's what inspires our culture of innovation. In February, we announced our climate commitment, a set of clear, future-focused decarbonization goals. And we also shared our vision to achieve net zero emissions by 2050. This commitment builds on our successful track record of, meaningfully, of meaningful carbon reductions already achieved and highlights our dedication to eliminating coal and advancing decarbonization. We are encouraged by the alignment with customers and policymakers who are also driving towards a lower carbon future. Our proven strategy and successful track record positions Amira well to help lead the energy transition, but critically, in doing so, in a way that never loses sight of affordability and reliability. We fully expect that opportunities for continued and incremental investment will present themselves as a result of our dedication to reducing emissions and the global shift to a cleaner economy and this, in turn, will also continue to drive long-term value creation for shareholders. The Atlantic Loop is an incremental opportunity we are pursuing and while this remains a complex idea with many partners and stakeholders, we continue to be encouraged by the momentum and the engagement from the federal government, provincial governments and our utility partners. We hope to have more to say about this project initiative later this year. Our ESG commitments are core to our strategy, and while our environmental commitments are driving our capital investment program, our social and governance commitments shape our culture of doing the right thing for our customers, communities, investors, and each other. Whether it's our commitments to inclusion and diversity across the business, continuing to advance our best-in-class corporate governance, or being an employer of choice everywhere we work, our ESG efforts speak to the core of who we are. At AMIRA, our top priority is always safety. We're committed to an AMIRA where no one gets hurt, ever. This means fostering a safety culture where team members are personally responsible for their own safety and the safety of others and are empowered to speak up and act when they see potentially unsafe conditions or behaviors. Over the last number of years, we've seen our safety record improve and in 2020, we achieved our best ever safety results with the fewest number of injuries ever recorded in our business. This is a significant accomplishment in any year, but especially so given how we adapted and added new protocols in response to the global pandemic. However, recent contractor fatalities and serious safety incidents across our business tragically highlight that the work in this important area is never done. But I'm encouraged by the team's commitment, and I can tell you that we are more resolved than ever to achieve in a mirror where no one gets hurt. Before I pass the call over to Greg to take you through the financial results, I want to briefly update you on the Tampa electric rate case. Early last month, we took the next step in the regulatory process and filed our petition with the Florida Public Service Commission. Our request includes an increase of base rates of 295 US million dollars in 2022 and an incremental 130 million US dollars over 2023 and 2024. If approved, these base rate increases support and enable the significant investments in cleaner, greener, and smarter energy solutions, all while keeping rates among the lowest in Florida and below the national average. As I've noted in the past, our rate request is relatively straightforward. About half the revenue ask is related to major capital items, smart meters, Big Bend modernization, and solar investments. Another 40% relates to depreciation expense, to increase depreciation rates in line with a depreciation study filed last December, and to recover accelerated depreciation and dismantlement costs associated with the early retirement of coal units one, two, and three at the Big Bend station. The The remainder of the increase is for other smaller items. We expect a decision from the Public Service Commission later this year to allow for new base rates to be effective January 1st of 2022. Finally, before I turn it over to Greg to take you through the financial results, I'd like to take a moment to thank and congratulate Nancy Tower, who officially retired as president and CEO of Tampa Electric last week. As you know, Nancy had an impressive career at Amira. She's been a key part of our growth story too. Her accomplishments are many and we're very grateful to have benefited from her leadership over the years. On behalf of the entire team, thank you, Nancy, you will be missed. With Nancy's retirement, Archie Collins, who's with us on this call, officially assumes the role of president and CEO of Tampa Electric. Archie also has a long history with Amira, and most recently has been part of the Tampa Electric leadership team. He's a natural successor to continue the positive momentum of the Tampa Electric team as they continue to deliver value for customers, cultivate a strong safety culture, reducing carbon emissions, and driving growth at the utility. Overall, I'm pleased with our solid start to 2021. And I'm incredibly proud of the team and how they continue to respond to the challenges of the global COVID-19 pandemic. Despite being asked to change the way they work to keep themselves and each other safe, the team hasn't missed a beat. Our businesses continue to perform well and our teams continue to deliver the energy our customers need. Looking forward to the rest of twenty twenty one and beyond, I remain confident that AMIRA is well positioned to continue to advance our strategy and deliver on our financial commitments. And now I'll turn it over to Greg to take you through the financial
1: results. Greg.
3: Thank you, Scott, and thank you all for joining us today. This morning we reported first quarter adjusted earnings of two hundred and forty-three million dollars and adjusted earnings per share of $0.96, compared to $193 million 79 in the same period last year. As we'll take you through in a moment, growth in adjusted earnings per share was primarily driven by our U.S.-based utilities, lower corporate costs, and improved earnings in our marketing and trading business, partially offset by a stronger Canadian dollar and a higher share count. Our utility operations and the corporate services that support them are the driver of Amir's growth. Since 2017, the first full year with TECO in our portfolio, these operations have been generating predictable and consistently increasing adjusted earnings per share driven by investments in rate-based, disciplined O&M management, and working constructively with our regulators and customer groups. Between 2017 and 2020, regulated and corporate EPS grew by 5%. Over the same period, we saw our corporate interest cost trend lower, largely due to our strengthened balance sheet, And in 2020, we're seeing these trends continue. With over 95% of our earnings coming from regulated operations on an annual basis, the overall quality and predictability of our earnings and cash flow is high. And the continued execution of our strategy, making investments to safely provide cleaner and more reliable energy to our customers while ensuring that energy remains affordable, will continue to drive growth in earnings, cash flow, and dividends. Most of our unregulated earnings are attributed to AMIRA Energy. Mira Energy's earnings have historically been positive on an annual, annual basis, but they will vary both quarter to quarter and year to year, depending on market conditions causing volatility in our consolidated results. While their financial results are not as predictable as those from a regulated business, Amira Energy's low-risk operations provide us with the opportunity to generate earnings and cash flow offside when there is market opportunity. And in this quarter, our unregulated earnings per share grew by 7 cents, primarily due to improved earnings from our marketing and trading business. It hasn't been an easy time for this business over the past few years, but the February winter storm event in the Midwest drove pricing volatility across the U.S. Mira Energy was well-positioned to benefit from this volatility while maintaining supply to their customers. And now I'd like to turn our attention to the details of the regulated and corporate earnings. Growth in the first quarter was largely driven by lower corporate interest and long-term compensation costs, new base rates and customer growth at People's Gas, and higher AFUDC earnings and customer growth at Tampa Electric, partially offset by a stronger Canadian dollar and a higher share count. Pre-tax corporate interest costs were lower in the quarter by $13 million, primarily due to the retirement of debt from the proceeds of the sale of Amerimane last year. Lower short-term interest rates and a stronger Canadian dollar also contributed to the decrease. This is a continuation of a trend that we have seen since the second quarter of 2020 and reflects the steps we've taken to strengthen our balance sheet. Pre-tax corporate OMG was $16 million lower in the quarter. Of this variance, 12 million relates to lower long-term compensation costs. This decrease was driven by differences between Ameris 50-day average share price leading into the quarter end and our share price at quarter end. Because these gains are driven by the timing and trend of share price movements, they are likely to reverse out over the balance of the year. Excluding the impact of a stronger Canadian dollar, earnings from our gas and infrastructure segment increased by $14 million in the first quarter of 2020, uh, over the first quarter of 2020. Growth was primarily driven by new, higher base rates of people's gas and New Mexico gas, and strong customer growth of 5% of people's gas. First quarter earnings from Tampa Electric were also solid. Excluding the impact of a stronger Canadian dollar, their quarterly earnings contribution increased by $9 million, driven by continued investment in the Big Ben modernization and non solar solar projects, partially offset by less favorable weather. Compared to the first quarter of 2020, milder weather reduced earnings by eight million US dollars. Earnings from our remaining utilities were relatively consistent quarter over quarter. However, I will pause to mention the results at Nova Scotia Power. Here in Nova Scotia, we experienced an incredibly mild winter. Between November and March, weather conditions were some of the mildest we've seen in the past 50 years. Unfortunately for Nova Scotia Power, this created an earnings headwind. Because Nova Scotia Power is a winter peaking utility, it will be very challenging for them to make up the earnings lost in this quarter over the balance of the year. As a result, we have updated earnings guidance to reflect the expectation that they will earn in the low end of their ROE bands this year. And finally, folks, foreign exchange and a higher share count provided headwinds. Fortunately, we are partially hedged against FX movements this year, and at the end of the first quarter, we have $75 million of US hedges remaining at a rate of $1.42.
1: As these hedges roll off, the realized gains or losses will mute the impact of FX movements, such that a penny change in the FX rate will move annual adjusted
3: EPS by about a penny through 2021. On a non basis, that same penny change in FX rates would move EPS by approximately two cents. Before we open the line for questions, I would like to take the opportunity to highlight the expected upcoming step changes in our operating cash flow. As you know, over the balance over the past couple of years, we've been focused on strengthening our balance sheet. Since 2018, we have retired over $1 billion of holding company debt, reduced our whole code debt to total debt ratio to below 40% and returned to our capital uh, target capital structure all while maintaining sufficient liquidity. We've also become more regulated, which has improved the quality of our cash flows. And while the select asset sales we affected temporarily paused our cash flow growth, we always knew there were significant cash flow events on the horizon. Over the past 12 months, our business has generated $1.4 billion of normalized operating cash flow. And while the results this quarter include the cash flow impacts of the $110 million U.S. dollars of incremental gas costs incurred at New Mexico cash. These prudently incurred costs will be recovered from customers over a time frame, time frame to be finalized with the New Mexico Public Regulation Commission. By the end of 2022, we will see our operating cash flow increasing significantly to over $2 billion driven by a few events. If as approved, the Tampa electric rate case will generate an incremental $295 million US dollars of base revenues and an expected incremental $280 million US dollars of operating cash flow. In the second half of this year, we expect the Labrador Island link will be commissioned. Once commissioned, our current non-cash earnings will convert to cash, increasing our operating cash flow by approximately $75 million. And new base rates at People's Gas and New Mexico Gas came into effect at the beginning of the year. We've seen incremental benefit of these rates in the first quarter of this year, and we'll see further upside over the balance of the year. And finally, we expect to continue to see natural growth in our operating cash flow. With this stronger operating cash flow profile, we have a clear path to achieve the target credit metrics set by the rating agencies. Our continued execution of our funding plan will support achieving our credit objectives.
4: Last quarter, we issued $110 million of equity to our dividend reinvestment and at-the-market equity programs and raised $200 million
3: of preferred share financing. Our base shelf has an additional $300 million of capacity remaining. And as I've noted in the past, we have the balance sheet capacity to issue approximately $500 million of hybrid capital over the forecast period. Our solid start to 2021 sets us up well for the balance of the year. And while a quarter does not make the year, I believe we are well positioned to deliver earnings growth and drive investment for our investors while delivering cleaner, reliable, affordable energy for our customers. And before I turn the presentation back over to Aaron, I would like to welcome Dave Bizanson back to our finance team. Effective May 1st, Dave has assumed the role of Vice President, Investor Relations, and Pensions, and I know you will all enjoy the opportunity to get to know Dave. Erin?
0: Thank you, Greg. This concludes the presentation. We would now like to open up the call to take questions from analysts.
1: At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, press star, then the number 1 on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from Linda Ezergalis of TD Securities. Your line is open.
4: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
5: Thank you. Congratulations to a strong start to the year. I'm wondering if you can uh, give us a sense, some more uh, context around your uh, Tampa Electric rate filing, um, specifically as it relates to inflationary pressures uh, what are your imbe- embedded assumptions around there? And if, if inflationary pressures uh, increase more than expected, might there be any sort of relief, or, or or how are you thinking about that?
1: Hey, Linda, it's it's Scott. So thank
2: you for the question. And let me let me start, and then uh, Greg, maybe you can uh, you can you can help. And I know Archie is uh, Archie Collins is on the line, uh, too. I mean, certainly, Linda, it relates to um you know the rate filing a lot a lot of that capital um that is a big driver of the of the rate requirement the revenue requirement that's part of that uh, rate case is is already well in motion and in, in a lot of cases actually um you know uh, uh, either the work is already already complete or well advanced and certainly uh much of it has been cost controlled not all of it um as uh, some of the solar program continues to advance but uh but of course uh, uh smart meters um big bend uh, modernization uh work is uh, is all well advanced with all major equipment um uh, and uh, and and labor uh, costs already uh, committed and uh, uh, and contracted or, or procured or in some cases even even in place and and, and of course you know as you mentioned the rest of the revenue ask really relates to depreciation, uh, which doesn't uh, doesn't impact things as much now as a a broader sort of over override lens on uh, on inflation. Uh, Greg, anything that you can add to to Linda's question? Um,
3: Linda, maybe just a couple of things. Uh, I mean, if you you know, We kind of think of our, our inflation, uh, I guess exposure, if you will, in that particular business through a few different lenses, obviously to the extent that it resulted in higher commodity prices and f- or fuel prices uh, in particular uh, that would flow through the fuel adjustment mechanism that we have. Um, we've done a, a, a pretty good job of terming out our debt so we don't have a lot of risk uh, from an interest rate perspective. Um, obviously, uh, we may see some on the capital side, and if that's the case, then obviously the capital that we're investing might, uh, could be uh, slightly higher, uh, but then really the area that might uh, more on a shorter term basis uh, impact us would be just on our day-to-day operating costs, um, but with the, uh, you know, we can control the labour through uh, our existing labour agreements and those kinds of things, so there's probably a relatively minor uh, piece that we would have a little bit exposure. We did build in an inflation assumption. That we think is sufficient in the rate case filing. So uh, at this point in time, I don't think it's anything that you should be overly concerned about.
5: Thank you. Um, And as a follow up, I just wanted to uh, also get some more of your thoughts on your financing plans. Um, You know, recognizing uh, that you still have some room on your at the market program, uh, is it, you know, reasonable to assume that that still uh, is a lever? Uh, that could be likely, um, and, and just uh, maybe some more thoughts on how you might uh, term out your potentially your drawn credit facilities, and how any sort of thoughts of dividend policy past uh, past 2022 might inform how you approach uh, your permanent financing plan. So, so Linda, Greg, let me let
3: me start. Um... So I think you uh, accurately characterize it. We're, we're happy with um, with our ATM program as well as our drip. We're going to continue with with those two um, with those two mechanisms to raise common equity. We find it very cost effective and allows us to raise it when we need it, you no know, earlier or no later. Um, the you know, we've been kind of historically over the last, let's say, couple of years, raising about fifty million dollars a quarter on our at the market equity program. And I, I think that's kind of a run rate that you should probably assume, and, and something relatively consistent uh, um, with that on our on our trip as well. Uh, you know, we're always looking at at our credit facilities, and and you know, is there an opportunity to term some of that out? Uh, you may have noticed in the quarter we did exactly that at Tampa Electric with an eight hundred million dollar. Bond issuance that effectively um, um, took their uh, revolver down to, to zero balance. So we'll, we'll continue to look at that. No immediate plans to do anything different um, over the near term. And then as far as dividend policy, um, you know, I, I think that that's ultimately a board decision, and um, you know, we would expect that uh, our current guidance um, there'll be some updating of that um, in the fourth quarter of this year, as we traditionally have done in the past.
1: Thank you. I'll get back in the queue. Your next question comes from Rob Hope of Scotia Bank. Your line is open.
6: Yep, morning everyone. Um uh, first question is just on the opportunities under development. Uh you know, you continue to, you know, you know, add we'll call 170 million dollars of potential opportunities in twenty twenty one. Uh how are you seeing, you know, some of those shorter term opportunities uh progressing? And then uh, you know, it looks like uh, Atlantic Loop is uh you know more of a back half kind of a, a next step for uh Information
1: there
3: yeah Robert yeah, Rob, Craig I, I think um, good morning. Um, I, I, I you know the the projects that we have under development really haven't changed um, as as you highlighted about half of it is Atlantic loop or something like that. now the Atlantic loop is a, a collection of projects, some of which Um, You know, we'll go forward uh, irrespective of the Atlantic Loop, for example, a a stronger interconnection between us and and New Brunswick. So those projects are are progressing reasonably well. Um, You know, we have some modest projects, I would say, still under development for for 2021. And, um, you know, whether they land in this year or or the early part of next year, um, I, I, I still think it's a little premature to know that for sure
2: yeah maybe if i just sort of speak to the you know i know the the, the reference to atlantic loop is is what catches some attention with uh, with media and the like but um but but the path to to continue to decarbonize nova scotia the path to retire the coal plants in in nova scotia uh, involves much more than than the atlantic loop the idea of a a transmission interconnect That's certainly a Um, uh, an important backbone enabling component of that journey to continue to decarbonize and close those coal plants. Uh, But there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be uh, built and and enhanced in in Nova Scotia as well. And so we'll see some of those things happen, probably irrespective of of the the sort of the technically defined Atlantic Loop uh, transmission project uh, as Nova Scotia Power continues its journey. To, uh, to decarbonize and, uh, and progressively retire its coal plants.
6: Excellent, uh, all right, second question. Um, you know, just taking a look at the uh, TECO ray case, once again, you know, it's been out there for you know, a little over a month now. Uh, what is the feedback and from stakeholders and, you know, uh, any opportunity for a settlement here?
2: Archie, you want to take that one?
7: Sure, uh, good morning, Rob. Uh, you know, I, I would say, to this point, uh, feedback from from uh, stakeholders has been balanced. It's been fair. I think there's a recognition that uh, you know the the investments that we've made or that we are making um, are things that customers are interested in. It's what society is interested in. we're We're decarbonizing. We're driving down the use of coal, stabilizing our fuel cost over time and so you know modernizing our grid improving resiliency reliability so i think that there's an acknowledgement that uh that that these are these are investments that are in the social interest and and that over the long term they're 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 good for the customer, for our customers and so we've been pleased that uh for the most part that's the feedback has been has been fair and balanced from the perspective of a settlement you know a settlement is is always a possibility, uh, but at this point, we, you know, we we are preparing ourselves for a fully litigated rate case. We have every expectation that uh, uh, that that you know we have we're preparing ourselves for, for that eventuality. If if a settlement uh, presents itself, we, we will be we will be willing to engage. But we we wouldn't think that that would present itself until much later in the process. Um, probably after we've completed discovery. So we're open to it, but uh, preparing to go uh, right to, to the end of a fully litigated rate case.
8: Thank you.
1: Your next question comes from Maurice Choi of RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open.
6: Thank you, and um, my first question speaks about uh, slide 12, which is a great disclosure from an operating cash flow perspective. Um, Any color on possible puts and takes um, if the various components there uh, change, particularly if I look at the Tampa electric rate case, uh, so 3.5 Canadian dollars, that's 280 million US, and you mentioned that that's in line with what you've asked. Um, In the potential event that we don't get everything that we ask, where would you see the potential tailwinds to be to make up for your targeted operating cash flow? Uh,
3: hi Maurice, it's it's, it's Greg. Um, yeah, good question. I mean, if you, if you look at um, slide 12 and, and the buildup of the various items, I mean, a couple of them, um, you know, have either already been executed or it's a question of timing, in particular ENL and, and and our gas LDCs, um, uh, rate cases, which we've had settlements like last year. Uh, obviously, the biggest piece uh, is, is the Tampa Electric Rate Case. I will say that the combination of, of those four items identified on that page uh, probably increase our, our credit metrics, or our CFO to debt or FFO to debt, by um, somewhere around three to 400 basis points, uh, and so uh, to the extent that uh, one or two of these numbers uh, turns out to be less uh, than what we uh, have illustrated here uh we'll still be comfortably where we need to be from a credit rating agency perspective. So that's kind of the way to think about it. Uh I think if you think of a a a rate case of Tampa Electric, I think the average in the US is generally around a sixty to seventy percent um success rate in terms of getting uh what you asked for. Uh I think Florida probably traditionally has been at either the higher end of that or, or slightly above that. So you know I think it's fair that you could probably handicap uh, that number uh, by some amount, um, if if you so choose. Uh, but even so, we'll still be comfortably uh, where we need to be from a credit metric perspective.
6: Great, and and just to follow up to that. Obviously, um, the first component only comes in in 2022, whereas the rest of it, bits and bobs of it, come come in this year. Any uh, update on your discussion for this year's review, specifically 2021 rather than 2022?
3: Uh, with the rating agencies Maurice? That is correct. Yeah uh, so uh, so as, as always we have ongoing conversations um, on a regular basis uh, with with all three of the uh, rating agencies SP Moody's, uh, and Fitch. Um, I, I don't know what the timing is of Moody's or Fitch uh, to issue a report uh, this year but uh, S&P just issued uh, their annual report uh, a few weeks ago and reconfirmed our rating and outlook, so there was no change in either. Um, And uh, we're just waiting to hear from the other two as to what their schedule is for the balance of the year.
6: Great, and if I could just finish up on the opportunity set beyond your base plan, Uh, you mentioned earlier that $1.2 billion hasn't changed much uh, this quarter. But I wonder if you could just elaborate a little bit more about, you know, recent developments both in the U S and, and Canada with regards to climate commitments. Um, have you seen an opportunity to increase uh, that $1.2 billion? What kind of timing we should be looking at in terms of spend? Uh, and and, and with, with that, any intent to, to take action sooner sooner or later to fund this potential increase? Well, I think,
2: Maurice, it's Scott. I think you know, directionally, of course, you know what's what's happening. Uh, the focus, the intense focus that that's on uh, many stakeholders of pushing decarbonization, and and whether that's you know federally driven uh, climate and energy policy uh, in in Canada or the U.S., you know, is, is, is of course directionally positive uh, for. Uh, for a company like uh, amira and obviously we um our whole strategy is is anchored centered on um been delivering on on decarbonization efforts and and related investments for for many years almost two almost two decades so so in that sense for sure it's directionally uh positive and um you know i think as we look for opportunities to accelerate decarbonization or to respond to the Requirement to to um, decarbonize faster. If uh, if legislative um, uh, impetus gets gets put into to place, then obviously we're really well positioned to to do that. And and yes, I think that you know bodes well for what our capex profile and and growth can continue to to be um, maybe within the forecast period, but certainly certainly beyond it. And. Um, and so you know I think that's just why we are, are feeling confident about the positioning of the of the business and the uh, strength of the and, and the, the, um, um, the appropriateness and the, the durability of our strategy uh, right now because it, it provides that uh, opportunity as we continue to execute for for customers to also be aligned with the uh, accelerated pace that's being driven uh, by by many uh, policymakers. Of course, one of the really important things in this, of course, is that as acceleration quickens, um, you know, that does does drive cost. And we're going to continue to work to ensure we're representing customers' uh, interests as well as we can to ensure that it's also affordable and finding ways in order to accelerate the decarbonization, but still keep it affordable. And obviously, you know, the Atlantic Loop uh, project, or more broadly, um, as we describe it, uh, Eastern Clean Energy um, Initiative uh, for, for us in uh, at Atlantic Canada is, is really born out of that idea of, you know, how do, we, how do we do this faster, but still keep our eyes on and manage the implication of cost for, uh, for customers. So it keeps us encouraged about what the future holds um, nothing that will likely add much in the way of capex growth in in 2021, but certainly as we get uh, out into the later part of the forecast period and beyond, uh, I think um, you know these will be driving forces that should continue to drive the mayor's growth for years to come.
6: And, and and just to follow up on that, you mentioned that you know legislation needs to be put in place. Do you view your, the ball to be on the government side of the court? In terms of putting, you know, the next steps out, or is it one for the industry, such as participants like yourself to come up with solutions?
2: Well, well, I mean, for sure, for sure, we, you know, we have to we have to drive the solutions, but we also have to work within the the parameters that get established for us within the the range of of legislation and and regulation, and of course you know our, our most regulatory constructs require us to produce the lowest cost but compliant electron that we can not the cleanest but the lowest cost and compliant electron and so uh, to the extent that we can as we are the the you know, the big bend modernization project in uh, in in Florida you know we're undertaking that because that that cleaner energy that that, that transition from coal uh, to to gas at Big Bend Station is more affordable for customers. It is it is less expensive, and therefore, you know that's a that's a, a great self-driven um, initiative. The same with much of our solar investments uh, right now. Those are all all happening because um, they are cost-effective for for customers. Uh, but um, but at the same time, if there was, for example, um, a carbon pricing in Canada that uh, the uh, the Liberal government has, of course, proposed. Um, you know, higher carbon pricing means that the afford- that, that affordability lens looks different in in 2030 to 2040 at 170 dollars a carbon uh, per ton of carbon than it would if there was no price on carbon. And so that would require Nova Scotia Power to work with the provincial government to. Uh, arrive at a solution that um, within the parameters of, of that carbon tax or that change legislation continues to produce the most affordable solution uh, for customers while being compliant uh, with the, um, whether it's carbon tax or, or emission regulations or whatever the case
1: may be. Great. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from Mark Jarvie of CIBC Capital Markets. Your line is open.
8: Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Um, Maybe just coming back to the Tampa electric rate case, is there anything that can be gleaned from the Duke, Florida settlement uh, in terms of their depreciation studies or anything relative to what you've proposed where you can see whether or not staff might be on board with your proposal given that that's a substantial part of the uh, step-up in rates?
2: I think it start this way, and if, if uh, Archie or Greg want to chime in, would would let them. But look, I mean, every every rate case submission is uh, is different. So I think you know everyone need, would need to be careful. We need to be careful about interpreting um, uh, you know the result of of one rate case into another. Of course, you know we we'll pay attention to that. We pay attention to uh, the rate case filing that uh, the Florida Power and Electric. Uh, have done, but you know our case needs to stand on its own in the merits of the capital that's been invested and the depreciation study, uh, the independent depreciation study that is, uh, has been has been done that uh, helps to guide uh, those discussions. And you know the the team at Tampa Electric I know has uh, put a huge amount of work in to ensure that as, as it's responding to the uh, needs to invest that uh, capital and and address the appropriate requirements for. Uh, depreciation and and, and overall uh, cost of the of the business that uh, it's doing so prudently and uh, with a lens on impact to affordability for uh, for customers and um, and so you know confident in that sense that um, the the work that's been done and the rate case that has been uh, filed with the with the support for that um, all you know is stands on its own Um, very very well thought through very well um, uh, considered with benefit of expert uh, opinions and, and the team will work through that process with, uh, with stakeholders and the FPC uh, as the year uh, progresses.
8: Okay. And then um, for Greg, um, obviously some proposals on tax changes in the U.S. but also in Canada. Does that put you in a bit of a holding pattern in terms of positioning of corporate debt or, or you know any sort of updated thoughts in terms of how you might respond if there are some changes in taxation policies?
3: Yeah, it's um, it's it's probably a little bit early to to tell. I mean, I, I think it certainly looks like, you know, if, if I start in the U.S. mark that um, that the Biden administration is looking to increase corporate tax rates, uh, that really doesn't have any impact on our financing, other than our U.S. denominated debt would, you know, you know, the after tax cost would be lower than it is uh, it is today, but it, it doesn't really have any impact on us. Uh, from that side of it, um, it looks like uh, the discussions are having around um, the thresholds for alternative minimum tax would be sufficiently above uh, our taxable income in the U.S., so we we shouldn't get caught by that at all. If I turn to Canada, um, you know, really, it looks like a couple of themes that are emerging. One is is the elimination of of any kind of cross border tax structures. We really don't have anything in place that uh, is 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 worth mentioning. So that's not something that we're we're very focused on um, at this point. Um, and, and then I guess the last thing is they're still working through the mechanics on is there going to be any kind of interest deductibility limitation, um, which we have to be careful of, I think, in <clears throat> in Canada, because obviously cane utilities run at a much thinner capital structure. And, and, you know, I certainly wouldn't want to see us in a position where we couldn't uh, raise uh, incremental uh, debt at the... Uh, Canadian regulated utilities because of that kind of limitation. So I think there's some work to be done on that. It, it probably pushes us long term. That means, which we really are effectively today, what it means is, is you know, holding company debt is probably going to be um, you know, raised in the United States as opposed to Canada. Is what I uh, I'd be speculating at this point.
8: That's great, color. Thanks for that, Greg. And my last thing, just coming back um, to you, Scott in terms of the balance of of the legislation and, and regulation in terms of big initiatives like Atlantic loop update us in terms of like at this point, are you socializing what you're thinking with the regulators in Nova Scotia? Like how, how do you get to then come back to the table with your neighboring provinces, other people to discuss Atlantic loop with enough confidence that you're putting it within the right boundaries of, of, of regulation and, and, and proven cost recovery.
6: Yeah.
2: Peter, are you comfortable to answer that?
6: I am Scott. Um, I guess what I'd say to that, and good morning, everyone, um, is that, you know, it is a complex project involving multiple stakeholders, multiple provinces, utilities. And so we are having, I'd say, you know, still early day discussions with all. um, And there's opportunity, I think, to to bring um, more uh, of those stakeholders uh, into the discussions in the coming
3: months. As both Scott and Greg said earlier, you know, we'd hoped we'd have something more to say uh, toward the to, toward the uh, back half of this year.
6: But I don't know if you anything you want to add to that.
2: Yeah, no, I think I think that's exactly right, Peter and 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 Mark. I think the only other thing I'd say is, look, you know, you know, it is a, you know, it's multiple
1: stakeholders uh,
2: involved in in anything like this around energy um, uh, policy, and and in our case. In Nova Scotia, um, as we, you know, work to ensure that, you know, as the changing landscape of of of, um, of energy policy federally, to the extent that impacts the province, you know, the province is deeply engaged in that, and of course, Nova Scotia Power um, continues to to work with, always works with its its regulator and its and its stakeholders, and and that process has, has started here uh, now. Of course, you know, there's not perfect clarity yet on on any of these things, but keeping those stakeholders aware and uh, involved and engaged uh, through the through the piece, we're pleased that uh, um, you know the uh, the provinces um, uh, awareness and and um, and, and support of, of something like the Atlantic uh, Loop uh, requirements, of federal engagement in helping to uh, solve the challenge in Nova Scotia, uh, but um, but all of this is complex and um, and multiple stakeholders. Uh, involved, and uh, and Peter and the team at uh, Nova Scotia Power are doing a great job in in ensuring that uh, engagement and
8: and alignment as best as possible. Okay, got it. Thanks for taking my questions. Thanks, Mark. Your next
1: question comes from Ryan Greenwald, Bank of America. Your line is open.
9: Good morning, everyone. In terms of further... Potential developmental opportunities. Can you guys talk a bit about how you're thinking about any discrete opportunities coming out of the potential infra bill in the U.S.?
3: Yeah, sorry, Ryan's I'm not... Greg. Sorry, go ahead.
2: Greg. No, no, if you're going to start Greg, go ahead.
3: Again, I think there's, there's it's, it's probably a similar answer, right? It feels a little premature. I mean, there's a couple of things happening. Obviously, there's the infrastructure bill and and, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at what that might um, might mean for us, I'd say, probably not in the next couple of years, but as we look broader than that. And then, of course, there is, you know, more of a sensitivity in some of the markets too as well uh, in terms of uh, system resiliency in particular because of the events in Texas. So I'd say there's a couple of things that uh, are happening, all very consistent with the themes that have driven our capital investment to this point. And... Uh, you know, we're looking to see what the opportunities may mean uh, for us and, and for our, our business and for our customers, uh, but we haven't concluded uh, or uh, on any of those things yet.
9: Got it. And then just in terms of hedging, any thought process at this point, given the pressure of late on FX in terms of uh, looking out to later years? And just to confirm, you guys have no hedges beyond 2022 at this point? Uh, that's correct. Any thought process around um, implementing some now, or still kind of too early at this point?
3: Sorry, Ryan, I missed the first part of your
9: question. Just in terms of your thought process at this point, in terms of implementing hedges for the later years, given the pressure more recently on FX. Yeah, we'll we'll
3: we'll we'll continually look at it, um, but. Um time we have we haven't put any incremental hedges on um at,
9: at these levels great I'll leave it there thanks for the time
1: your next question comes from david peters of Wolf
10: research your line is open yeah hey good morning guys good morning. um yeah I know you don't have a a formal guidance range but just curious back to the fX if you could just comment you know on potential impacts for twenty one and and any offsets you have against those headwinds, you know, I appreciate the hedges that you have in place, but I think originally you had assumed a rate of a dollar 28 versus the dollar 21 that we're currently sitting at.
3: Yeah, that's, that's correct, David. So in the current year, um, each each one cent change in that um, in 2021 would be about a penny in EPS, uh, and for 2022 it uh, would be about two cents uh, in EPS.
10: Can you talk to any offsets elsewhere in the business that, you, that you're that you seeing to to help kind of offset those pressures?
3: Um, yeah, it, 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 it's a good question. I don't know, if, you know, certainly wouldn't necessarily uh, be be linked to it, but, you know, we're also seeing, uh, as, as you've seen in our Q1 results, and I'm sure you've seen in many of the companies that, that you're covering, um, you know, we're, we're seeing things like obviously lower short-term interest rates, um, than, than maybe most of us would have thought a year ago, which, 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 is certainly, uh, helpful. Um, you know, all of the capital that we're investing, uh, for, for better or worse is, is going in, uh, in Tampa Electric and, and People's Gas in New Mexico Gas at, at a lower FX rate. So our capital requirements, uh, at a consolidated basis are, are slightly less. So there's a, there's a few things, um, that probably helped mitigate it a little bit, but, um, but it is, it is a volatility that, uh, that will continue over the balance of the year. There's no question about that.
10: Great. Thank you.
1: Your next question comes from Andrew Kusky of Credit Suisse. Your line is open.
11: Thanks. Good morning, Scott. You mentioned a little bit about effectively the cross border divide on decarbonization with you know, pretty clear policies in Canada. And then, obviously, you have a really robust solar resource in in, in Florida, I guess just on a longer-term basis. How do you think about decarbonization unfolding with that cross-border divide? And then when you start thinking about the interplay of demand-side management, distributed generation, effectively customers having batteries in their houses, how does all that play out on a longer-term basis for you? I know it's a big-picture question, but how do you think about that now?
2: Yeah. Well, I think Andrew, it you know, it comes down to simple things like you know, ultimately we've always got to be focused on making sure that we're um, uh, we're providing cost-effective uh, solutions to customers. And so, you know, we've the team at Tampa Electric has has done a fantastic job of think about the, the the shift in the in the generation uh, profile of Tampa Electric from. Just even when we acquired uh, Tico uh, back in in 2016, now with uh, you know 655 megawatts of solar that's uh, that's in that's in service and another 600 megawatts uh, planned that'll take it to um, order of magnitude 15% of their of their generation profile and then the the coal to to gas conversion effectively the retirement of. Of three, um, of two coal units, and the conversion of another coal unit to uh, high-efficiency natural gas. Again, just a, a you know a, a massive change in in not only the generation profile but the the carbon uh, profile for Tampa Electric. And in that case, all doing it uh, on a basis that is more affordable to customers than than if they hadn't made those changes. And so, you know, really continuing to to think about the business that way. To as I say, you know, this culture of of innovation, which is a a, a big word and, and and maybe doesn't sound like it really should apply to any utility, perhaps, but but there's an element of of that in in driving you know the transition that that has happened in uh, in Florida that has already happened and still needs to happen in uh, in Nova Scotia and frankly in the Caribbean and our gas utilities uh, too, and and certainly as we think about distributed um, generation and and um you know that uh, that trend you know Tampa electric there too is is playing its its part with looking at uh, community uh solar where uh with the work that uh, rob bennett is doing with mirror technologies uh thinking about the the role that we as a utility can play to enable and accelerate the uh, the use of, of distributed energy the use of batteries um being used now in our caribbean businesses in um uh, in plans in Florida, in service now in uh, in in Nova Scotia, and the opportunity for for more, which will be an important component of ensuring uh, resiliency as part of the transition to more intermittent renewables. and whether those batteries are, are at customers' uh, homes or uh, parked in in solar uh, or wind generating facilities or at substations. It's going to be all of the above. And so the utilities have, I think, an important role to play in, in all of that. Uh, and I think that broader trend of of policy, whether it's driven at the provincial level or the state level or the federal level or just by economics, is going to be a continuing driver of our capital programs and growth uh, at Amira for, for many years to come still.
11: I appreciate those thoughts. I, I guess my, my second question is... is... Still relates to cross border divide, and it's probably more for Greg. And it's just in your capex slides in, in, in the deck. Do you see it being useful in the future to maybe just have the US dollar capex for the US business and then the Canadian capex? Like, obviously, you're a Canadian dollar reporting issuer uh, and you have a translation rate in the deck. Do you feel that that will mask the growth of the, the underlying growth in the US business that's happening on a US dollar basis?
3: It's a good suggestion, Andrew. I mean, we try not to uh, overreact a year ago when the dollar was at $1.42 um, and, and, and rework a lot of that and, and trying to do the same consistency today, but it, it is a good suggestion. We'll, we'll take that away and think a notice. Thank you.
1: Okay. Thank you. Again, if you would like to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. The next question comes from Patrick Kenny of National Bank Financial. Your line is open.
10: Yeah, good morning. Um, Just wanted to clarify, guys, um, on the Tampa filing, what the process looks like if the U.S. corporate tax rate does go up to 28%. You know, is there an automatic adjustment to the revenue requirement, or do you have to go back in for approval, and could there be a – Potential lag in in realizing that cash flow uplift relative to the the Jan one effective date.
1: Greg?
3: Yeah, Patrick, we, we've uh, we've we've asked for a mechanism to recover that, but I think it's fair to say that you should uh, expect some kind of regulatory uh, lag on that. Um, so even um, you know even when tax rates went down, I think it's still a full year before that. Uh, savings flowed back through to customers. So um, so even with a mechanism approved, um, I, I don't think we'd see any impact of that until probably 2023.
10: 20, Got it. Um, and then just on the trading and marketing front here, um, you may have touched on it already, but can you quantify just how much of the performance in the quarter was simply extreme weather-driven versus perhaps structural in nature going forward? Judy, over to you.
12: Okay. Well, um, I guess that's an interesting question. I mean, the the business generally makes hay in big weather events. So, you know, I don't – I mean, I can say – Well, uh, let me put it this way. Uh, I would say we made somewhere between 10 to 15 million U.S. of margin – um, in what I'll call markets adjacent to where the most turmoil was. So I think of that as kind of benefiting directly from the URI event. So um, after tax, that's probably 10 to 15 million bucks, I guess. Um, the New England weather didn't really blow out at any time, but it was steadily cold through the quarter, and uh, that's what we like to see. So, you know, prices in New England were kind of almost double what they were this time uh, in the first quarter last year, but still kind of, you know, an average of five to $6 and peaking out at 14 or 15. So uh, I would kind of call that a normal cold winter. Um, So uh, if I had to try to answer your question in some meaningful way, I would focus on what margin we earned kind of in adjacent markets to, to where Yuri was really impactful. And uh, like I said, that's somewhere between, um, 12 and 15 million of margin
10: okay that's very helpful thanks judy um and then just over on the caribbean frontier any leading indicators you can speak to with respect to travel and economic activity perhaps you know coming back later this fall um to more normalized levels
2: yeah i think patrick largely you know i mean really our, our caribbean interests are are centered in uh in in grand bahama and uh, uh and barbados um you know, of course we have interest in uh, in st lucia and dominica too but but really most most of uh uh the substance of our caribbean businesses is, is in those two islands and and their behavior is a little different so a leading indicator Grand bahama truthfully is is really very very linked to the u.s economy so as the u.s economy strengthens i would expect to see uh, the economy in uh, in Grand Bahama uh, strengthen. Of course, tourism will also uh, help. There is, uh, uh, you know, has been some some uh, sort of shipping related, uh, cruise ship related um, activity. Would would be another one to look at. But the, the biggest one for. For Grand Bahama would be uh, would be really just a, a linkage to the U.S. Uh, U.S. economy. Uh, Barbados obviously is different, uh, and there is uh, is principally tourism uh, driven, and so um, there, you know, tourism um, with with the U.K., Canada, and um, and and U.S. being primary uh components of that of course uh, much much broader but uh, but those would be the ones to to look at so it's really tourism in in barbados and uh and the u.s economy for grand bahama
10: okay that's great thanks everybody
1: there are no further questions at this time i will now return the call to ms Bauer for closing remarks thank
0: you chris and thank you all for for joining us and for your interest in amira I look forward to speaking with you again next quarter. And if you have any questions in the meantime, please feel free to reach out to myself and the IR
1: team. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.
4: Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card.